If no one told you you were going on a roller coaster and you're expecting, say, a website, for example, the roller coaster experience might be a touch terrifying. Welcome to Content in Practice. I'm your host, Blaine Kylo. In each episode, I speak with someone about how we do the work of content. Jeffrey Daniel signed on to help with the website redesign, he had a sneaking suspicion the project might be more than a simple redesign. He had just spent nearly six years working with the municipal government to bring about digital transformation, so he had first-hand experience into how the manifestations of content problems can hide underlying conditions. What he knew for sure was that the Peter A. Allard School of Law at the University of British Columbia needed to do a better job of focusing on the users of its website. And when you need to focus on users, you first need to understand who they are and what they need. Some of the, the strategic goals are really, really interesting, especially as it pertains to UBC. So we're not looking for students. We reject nine out of 10 students. Um, we don't need to like say, hey, come to UBC. We're not selling widgets. We are, we're looking for the right fit. We don't want people to fail out. We want the best people for our organization to go, go forward. And creating content strategy around that is a vastly different experience than say like, different from hospitals where uh, you're only coming to this content because someone you know in your life has been hurt, so I have to style my content to relate to your experience. I, I need to make sure you get the information you need knowing your, your mindset. Same thing for government, where you're only coming here because we owe you money or uh, you owe us money, so the context about what I give, give you needs to reflect that. Here, people actually might browse. They actually might look around. It's an idealized shopping experience. Like when you want people to browse, people are doing that naturally. So what are you serving them uh, to make them choose between you and say Carlton or York or what have you? So it's a very different content delivery experience. So it's not that you aren't trying to sell the experience that students would get coming to UBC because there is a competitive aspect to it. You want them to choose UBC law as opposed to another law school. And at the same time though, you need to make sure that the 10 people who might not be a fit for UBC law have an understanding of that. For Allard, uh, we are a law school with a social justice bent. If you're looking for, uh, you know, your suits s law experience where you go and graduate into a, a, a giant firm, you can have that experience at Allard, but we're also deeply interested in the rights of Indigenous people and reconciliation. We are also interested in social justice and, and the rights and roles of minorities in a, in a society and industrial and global law that might punish people who don't have the funds to actually exist in this world. These are a lot of the things that Allard is interested in that might not align with your values if you, you just want to graduate to a, uh, a giant law firm and go that particular path. 
The user research portion of this project has been incredibly educational. Despite the fact that we see them in the halls and they're constantly wandering by as we run to our different meetings, nobody was considering students. They were, like they're, they're part of the mechanism of keeping everything working, but no one was considering their perspectives and um, their experiences when it came to actually creating content. Part of the work that I did that was most illuminating for I think the rest of the, the law school was how agitated students were. They tend to collect information very, very quickly. There's a lot of high pressure demands and this law school is expensive. So they needed a source of truth and the website wasn't that. Uh, there were some fundamental problems in terms of like inaccurate content and stuff being in different pockets. So the students created their own way to that source of truth. So they would gather in a Facebook group and send a couple key students to go in and find that source of truth and bring it back to the Facebook group because there was some worry that the information they would get if they were to look on their own would be inaccurate. The users created their own experience because it wasn't provided for them. Exactly. And that became one of the key problems we needed to solve. We needed to become the source of truth because that, that's, that's what we're here for. Fundamentally, uh, we're here to serve them, especially when it comes to something as stress-inducing and costly as admissions. We need to be the source of truth. We need to be the source of truth when it comes to like, well, what are my course expectations supposed to be like? Or where do I live while I'm doing that? We need to be the source of truth. It's not that the institution was trying to hide information. Staff was sharing these details with students every day, and there was a commitment to providing the right answers. We weren't having the right kinds of conversations with the students. A lot of the staff at Allard doing this kind of work off the side of their desks, but so committed to actually providing the right answers. While they would spend an hour creating the content, they would spend days worth of time answering every single email that came in from every single student. The level of commitment was there, but there was obviously uh, an imbalance in terms of time and effort into putting it into the right vehicles and channels. And hopefully the revamp of the website will actually answer their questions quicker so they can do less of the answering emails give that information to students where they need it, when they need it, then you've got a whole lot fewer emails coming in. Absolutely. Yeah. Was it, in some organizations, it's difficult to get people to understand why we have a user focus on our content? What was your experience at Allard? There's always been a focus on the students. It was more, the energy is misplaced. Uh, the energy has been misplaced on, in phone calls and in emails versus placing that same amount of care, effort, and energy on the website itself. The staff understood there was value to the website, but due to structural issues about how the website worked and the process of making updates, they found it burdensome and onerous and tended to, well, I'm going to put my time in over here as opposed to actually working with the website. So one of the fixing the structural problems became sort of one of the core priorities of the revamp and relaunch. And that's how the planned website refresh for the Allard School of Law became a full-on governance project. This started off as a website project, still is, but you've also talked about it being a governance project. How did that transition happen? How organic was it? How difficult was that to sell? 
As a digital practitioner, what oftentimes happens is you're told to come in and evaluate what is oftentimes like, we want to refresh our website. And you nod sagely to yourself. And after about a month of diving in and understanding the problem, you present them, well, when you say refresh, what you actually mean is a large scale of rebuild of not only the website itself, but how you manage content. There's oftentimes a push and a pull, uh, as there oftentimes is, when budget is uh, a consideration. Uh, while I've been at Allard, uh, I did that work for the first month, month and a half, and presented back a list of these are your problems. And those problems were your, your, your bog standard ones. Uh, the people who were contributing to the website found that the CMS was a barrier. Uh, they didn't have the proper education to write for the web, and they didn't feel like they had the structure of the website itself wasn't designed to really, the structure being the IA wasn't designed for people to actually find what they were looking for. But other problems started to emerge. Staff needed an intranet, for example, and we needed to, to take all that staff-related information off the website itself so it could function as its own thing. Uh, it lacked defined personas, you know, the 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 grab bag of content strategy problems. So when I read this back to my leadership, they said, oh, can you try tackling all this stuff as well? And I was taken aback. So we went to solve what they now saw and then quickly understood it's like, these are the things we're here to solve. They had done a rebuild about two years ago and found the website fell back into its same place. And that's sort of where the governance piece came in. It was, we can do what you've asked me to do, but just going to fall back in the same same place unless you have a structure and a framework to support good content generation and people doing that for them. And they, they accepted it. It was great. Universities and colleges and post-secondaries are by their very nature siloed because the different departments the different disciplines are so different and they're used to having autonomy. You know, the English department does things their way because that's what works for English. Um, business does things their way because that's what works over there. But when we're talking about web experiences for a larger institution, this is where we need to start breaking down silos. Has that been something that you've struggled with at Allard or are they working autonomously? They work well person to person. But digitally, there's a gap in the ways in which the, they actually communicate with, uh, with each other. There's a lot of trust when a person wanders over to your desk and has a conversation with you. But if they can't reach you, they'll go about doing their own thing. So one of the problems at Allard was, um, referred to it earlier as sources of truth. Oftentimes, you would have the same document appear in different parts of the site because there wasn't a lot of, let's call it digital trust. I'm in admissions, I know that I need these students to fill out these forms. I know the form may exist over here. I really want them to know it's here, so I'm going to put it here. And then you would have version control issues that would plague the entire website. The way we're trying to solve that is introducing the concept of related content. So anytime, if you're on a page about admissions, you can also reference, and if you want to live here, here's, here's your residence options. So I'm hoping through using related content, we will start to, start to bridge that gap. And if Mary's content about what jobs are available to me after I graduate can live in also the admission, how do I get into this law school to begin with? If there can be trust, like, okay, I just need to take this piece and put it in over here and that's complete and that will always be the, 
the source of truth, I'm hoping to bridge that digital trust issue that sort of permeates throughout the, the school itself. And so that's getting into content components that you can move around and place wherever you need to. Absolutely. And that's where the taxonomy becomes so critical. So very critical. The other thing is, as an aside, we start to talk to faculty about how they define their work. And if I am a second year law student, I may understand the difference between taxation law and its various ways in which it, it can impact my learning. Well, but I may need some help understanding or breaking down criminal law. So we're working with faculty to use plain language terms for the work that they do. Something that a layperson might understand or something that a person who was uh, sticking their toe into um, understanding the law would be able to understand themselves and sort of comprehend as a way of better explaining what the faculty does and why it's so important. That said, you have a unique audience that you're talking to here, and so you're not gonna have the same sort of content standards that a website for new parents is gonna have where they've got reading levels that are very simple and very plain. You've got different standards. It's been quite the challenge. I came from government before, and the content standards for government are, let's aim for seventh and ninth grade level. I now uh, see content that is a PhD level pass by my desk on a regular basis. And there's some flexibility with our standards, but what has been sort of the guiding light for us is like your most important information at the top. Stuff, everything else, the deep dive, feel free to have that, but give people what they need and just in your first paragraph and then I, it's not that I don't care, but I care less about what follows it. And that, that in and of itself has been a guide that faculty have first sort of balked at, but now I was like, I, I get it, I get it. If I'm just trying to decide what law school I am going to, this makes perfect sense to me. One of the other personas we are aiming at is visiting professors, people who might come to work here and want to know what their colleagues are doing, but they are comfortable reading to the bottom of what I have to say. So we, we have satisfied both of those uh, personas by by structuring our content in a way that allows the most important information to be at the top. Yeah. Another way that higher education content projects differ from others is that people in academic environments tend to be more respectful of the role of the expert and may recognize their own limitations. That can make them more willing to take the advice of someone who is an expert in something they are not. In my experience, there has been a very good sort of give and take between um, I understand you are the expert of this thing, teach me about this thing. One of the most gratifying moments of my career was my boss, a highly educated individual, been at some of the most prestigious schools across the country and in the states as well, was presenting to his peers in the, in the faculty, um, speaking about how taxonomies and related content work. He painted a picture, uh, he, took us, he took us on a bit of a tour, but he painted a picture of being on a roller coaster. And that once you were on the roller coaster, you, you whiz from this way to that way, and there was dips and dives, and you weren't sure there were blind corners. And he said, 
That's how we navigate our website right now. There's no contextual reason why this thing is linked to this thing and why I dumped to a page that no longer has any navigation. Our website currently is like riding a roller coaster and a rickety one at that. And what we wanted to do through using taxonomies and related content was to give a smooth, consistent experience closer to riding the bus where you know what your next stop is and you have context about like, I've taken these many stops, so I'll be here in this, this amount of time. As exciting as the roller coaster experience can be, if your job is to try and get information to help you make decisions, you don't want to be on a roller coaster. Certainly. And if no one told you you were going on a roller coaster and you're expecting, say, a website, for example, uh, the roller coaster experience might be a touch terrifying. Despite the fact that in, in this higher education setting, there might be a better appreciation for expertise and, and the flat structure that you have the context of means that it's easier to disseminate those messages and get that work done. There's still the constant resource issue problem, isn't there? There absolutely is. Uh, within Allard, there is one core communications person and her functions spread across the entire organization. So she operates as the digital strategist, the PR person, the traditional comms person, um, the person who is responsible for all communication that the law school has with the outside world. And it's, it's daunting. Her day-to-day -day operations uh, pull her in 17 different directions. Uh, she wears several hats and sometimes uh, quite a few hats on at the very same time. So how do you solve that problem, especially from this governance perspective? Is there a way to distribute that effort so that there's not too much on that single person? It is something I'm working on, something that I promised her when I first sort of signed up to start working with her was that there'll be structures and protocols for how content comes to her. So currently the process is someone um, runs into her office with a fistful of papers saying like, I need this on the website. And the structures I want to put in place are that what might come to her in a different way, shape, or form, but it's likely to be programmatic. So she'll get an email saying that there's content ready for her to review. You're, you know, you're, this things that their standard CMS is supposed to do should help her actually manage her job. It's worth noting that she was a person who did the web project off the side of her desk um, two years ago. So it's seen her good work all fall to pieces um, when and was advocated for someone to come in and, and help with this work. It's funny, uh, I oftentimes think of consultants coming into kind of spaces where there's a person doing everything as the equivalent of being on an online date where you you've read what the person is from their resume or their tinder profile whatever it happens to be uh, you have sort of the lower expectations of like sure sure we'll see and then you find that the person actually can talk the talk and walk the walk and your expectations go skyrocketing like okay let's solve all the world's problems together i think that's the part we're in i'm not capable of solving all the problems but the ability of slowly pulling things off of her plate uh has made us like sort of fast friends and good co-workers <laughs> You've been listening to Content in Practice. This episode was produced by Kathy Wagner and me. 
I'd like to thank Jeffrey Daniel at the Peter A. Allard School of Law at the University of British Columbia. Music used in this episode is from Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. This podcast is presented by Content Strategy Incorporated, a consultancy focused exclusively on content strategy. Find us online at contentstrategyinc.com. Thanks for listening to Content and Practice. I'm Blaine Kylo. Thank you.